You're definitely less and you definitely less energetic, Rich. Definitely. Yeah, I think we both are. It, um, oh, I am. Yeah, yeah I did. It's uh, look. You know, I I couldn't have done this on carbohydrate. Um, you know, I'm still a compass mentor, just uh, yeah, massively reduced from the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed versions that we were, you know, 23 hours ago. But, uh, still good, still fighting fit. So this is looking at blood glucose. So if it's um, these are readings, historic readings for for various patients, sort of uh, aggregated, and so in this light band is an acceptable blood glucose, and obviously higher is hyper glycemic and lower is um, hypo obviously so we want this to be in this range so let's have a look what happens if you look at what's happening in the background it's quite interesting so there's your blood glucose in the blue and the insulin is in green i'll stop it in a second so this is taken from you know data when i was doing my phlebotomy training so here if you're not measuring insulin these patients would think everything's pretty hunky-dory because from 1974 right up to 1986, there isn't much of a trend to see there. Oh, I've got a cup of coffee. Thank you very much. That's handy. Um, but for the eagle-eyed people, you will think, well, hang on a minute, the insulin seems to be disproportionately high. And that's that's what happens. And that's what we find when you start tracking people that do their bloods a lot and they do this C peptide, that this happens. So we've got to 1998, just gone. And here is, oh, I'm pre-diabetic, which, which we talked about as a big PR scam anyway, from 2001 um, in the NIH cafeteria. They came up with the term pre-diabetic and uh, 74 million United States residents suddenly became targeted because I was pre-diabetic. It was literally a PR type phrase. They wanted to get people to pay attention to this, not what I'm showing you, but to blood glucose. So, yeah, so here you've now got this person pre-diabetic, but look what's happened. Their insulin resistance, if you want, or their lack of insulin sensitivity is showing that the levels of insulin to get it to here are greatly uh, elevated. Well, we could have predicted that here. And obviously back there, you wouldn't get um, an intervention back in the 80s of low carb, but you could have done something about it or at least known that you were having a bit of a problem with your insulin. So let's just play out the video. So what happens? Because there's a little bit of a tipping point. So we get to the tipping point. There gets gets to a point where you just can't make the insulin anymore. And it starts to fall, and that's when you—that's when you get diagnosed with type two diabetes. Normally, around here, so um, you can even get a reading where your C peptide is, is low and your blood glucose is very high, and that's when you start to get your medications to bump up the insulin to bring this down. And I just thought that was a quite nice little way of looking at it because. People do get hung up on their blood glucose and they think, well, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And this is me. I became pre-diabetic, so I bought into the PR campaign as well. Um, and that's, that is my story. It's not my, That is not me, by the way. That is uh, representative of quite a lot of data points of what can happen. So um, I just don't want people to think, well, my blood glucose is fine. Everything's hunky-dory. Um, you can't outrun a bad diet. That's what they say. So if you, um, if you, if if you're looking at blood glucose only, that is not going to give you the, the the picture you need. Things like fasted glucose, fasted insulin, C peptide, you know, really will tell you what's going on. So let me stop that share. And um, now someone there is coercing me to, to finish early, but I don't want to. Do you, Rich? I'll take your lead, my man, whatever you want to do. It, um, if, uh, well, yeah. It's very kind, isn't it? Because um, you guys had all your guests on and actually finished up early. It's been a great program. Thank you both so much. Well, yeah, but I, I would like to finish on 24 hours, Rich. What, what, do you not want to? Yeah, yeah, let's go for this. 
Okay. What what did you think of that little video? Yeah, I mean that's perfect. It's, that's exactly what we spoke about with um, with the end winds um, in regards to the difference between blood glucose levels and, and and insulin readings and how going to the doctor isn't going to give you the full picture in regards to to testing. Um, you know, uh, to see if you're diabetic. Uh, this insulin resistance begins ten to fifteen years prior. So um, yeah, that's absolutely perfect, isn't it? Um, I think we we touched base with it with somebody else as well that we were speaking to in regards to the curve uh, with insulin and uh, uh, and glucose. Uh, but that, yeah, that's um, that's a perfect diagram to illustrate uh, the blood glucose is smack in the range, yet insulin is being elevated, um, you know, behind the scenes. So why can't we just test? for insulin why uh, are we uh, i mean we can test for insulin it is a test we can do um mm. but why don't we because they, they, it's not a test that they will do um which baffles me um to, to no end i don't know if you know the answer to that but it's certainly a test that um that you know you have difficulty getting on the nhs um well every, everything is a fight i mean that that's that's the issue, Rich, and um, I don't want to get all political like we've just been talking. Um, they don't they literally don't want you to have the knowledge. That's, that's the thing. So when I when I first got trained, they didn't even want people to have glucose monitors. Um, and I'm paraphrasing now, but literally said in the in the literature, we don't want to give the patient the power. That, you know, literally that. They don't want them to know. So um, glucose monitors, they, they did fight tooth and nail to to stop them. And then obviously they became popular and then continual glucose monitors, same sort of thing. They're quite expensive. The whole the whole diabetes thing is, is shocking. In 1922, we didn't even know what insulin was, and it was discovered. The discovery of insulin was um was sold off and the idea was that it would be free that was the you know that was the thing that there was a painting on there and they didn't want people to make money out of insulin but there you go that didn't happen either did it so um anything that makes sense doesn't seem to happen does it in modern medicine it seems to be um it's, it's, it's all driven by money basically Liabetes, someone's put in there. (laughs) Yes. There we go. That's quite good. I like that. That's very quick. Yeah, snappy. And um, actually, going back to calories, um, type 1 diabetes is one of the things I use to illustrate that calories are pointless Um, because it it is all about insulin. So in, in 1922... What they discovered was insulin. So, but if you had type one diabetes in 1921, you would have died. But those people were eating as as much as they could eat, maybe 10,000 calories, and they were still wasting away because that's what happens when you got type one diabetes. You just waste away. Um, so, if if calories mattered, then they wouldn't waste away because they would be given more and more food. But as soon as they were given insulin, they didn't waste away. So that sort of proves that concept that it isn't just calories. It's actually about insulin and it's about hormones and, 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 and eating correctly. But they didn't realize that there was more than one type of diabetes at that point. So, Rich, you look like you're going to say something. You look like you were researching something there. No, yeah, I was just looking for some bits. Um, yeah, keep on fighting away because I haven't found it yet. <laughs> But, uh, okay. Still looking. Still looking. There you go. I, I did a bit of Welsh there. Did you notice? Yeah, I did. Fair play. I liked it. I've lost me me folder. So let's have a look. I mean, the clamp test that they were talking about was was um, you know it was interesting. Uh, I think it was Philip Avardia, wasn't it? So yeah, if you want to look at. <clears throat> something like uh, this, this medical textbook. And I actually use this when people come to me for personal training to talk them out of how they're thinking. And I actually say, look, I could do myself out of some money here by showing you a few pages. And um, I tend to show them 
Let's see if I can get that up. And I'll screen share that as well. So this is this is the page I show them. I'm going to screen share it. And this nicely sums up insulin. Now, textbooks, medical textbooks are now sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. They never used to be. Um, I don't know if I can make that a bit bigger. Yeah, I think I can. So this is uh, this is what I show people, but I tend to just go straight to this bit. Therefore, when insulin is not available to promote glucose entry into the fat cells, fat storage is either greatly inhibited or blocked. When insulin is not available, fat storage is inhibited or blocked. All right, so no insulin no fat storage. And then you've also got increased metabolic use of fat caused by insulin. Like all aspects of fat metabolism are greatly enhanced in the absence of insulin. So you've got no, you've got no insulin, fat metabolism happens. So it's known. It's not a theory. It is actually known, isn't it? That insulin, if you've got lots of insulin, you're going to store fat. And you can't burn it. But that makes sense as well, doesn't it? Because if your job is to store stuff, that's the hormone's job. I've got to push this fat into this cell. Why would you also allow fat to come out of the cell? makes no sense. And the human body is is pretty smart. So um, that would be one of the um, sort of planks in my armory when people start talking about calories and not believing that it's hormones. So you've got the type 1 diabetic who can have 10,000 calories and and still fade away. Then you've got medical textbooks, physiology uh, textbooks, telling you that insulin will block fat burning or fat oxidation. Um, So I I think that's pretty good. And then you can go back to uh, diabetics that are type 2 and inject insulin, as soon as they inject insulin, they're told to do it in different sites because if you do the same site, you end up with a big blob of fat because it's lipogenic. I mean, they, it, that's, that's what they do. So they will be told do it in your thigh, then your thigh, then your stomach on one side, stomach on the other. And they, they say because insulin is going to make you fat. <laughs> so you've got type 1s proving it. You've got medical textbooks proving it. And you've also got um, type 2 diabetics proving it. Are, are you right, Rich? Yeah, all good. You're, you're, you, you look like you want to go, which is fine. But do you not want to get to the finish line and actually say you did the 24 hours? Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah one of the things that I was going to go into to speak about with, um, uh, with Sean Baker um, but we didn't get uh, a, a, ch- a chance to. Um, now, Sean, um, I may be incorrect with this, but he, does he consume organ meats or is he just. No, no he's not a big fan of organ meats. So, the issue with that uh, within the community for anybody that knows uh, you know, anything about uh, why we'd put organ meats in is something called the methionine to glycine ratio. Um, is that something that you've come across? Are you familiar with that? I think you've spoken about it in one of our live streams, but I'm yeah. more than happy to hear it again. Yeah, brilliant. So it, but methionine is uh, an essential uh, sulfur-containing amino acid, um, and it's the source of methyl groups for many uh, of the biochemical reactions uh, within the body, uh, in particular the folate cycle, uh, MTHFR makes L-methyl folate, which do- donates uh, a methyl group to homocysteine uh, forming methionine. Uh, which is then made into something called SAM-E. Now, SAM-E is uh, something within the body that tackles uh, inflammation. Uh, it's responsible for uh, detoxing the body. Uh, it makes neurotransmitters. So, so this is in- incredibly important. Um, but methionine uh, can be buffered by glycine. Um, now, the issue is excess methionine within the body causes us uh, to waste uh, glycine, and glycine we need to produce uh, collagen. Now, the problem is that when we consume meat in its normal form, i.e. a piece of steak, etc., methionine um, outweighs glycine, if you like, if that's the correct terminology. Apologies, we are half asleep. 
um, it, it outweighs it and it, it should be, um, uh, I mean, the, the correct ratio that I, I figures I've seen is probably around about four to one, um, I believe, from, from, from memory. Uh, but eating it in the raw form doesn't equate to four to one. So for us to increase um, that consumption uh, of glycine uh, to prevent that buffering, we'd need to get that from something like organ meats. Uh, obviously, you know, Sean doesn't consume any organ meats and uh, that glycine, uh, methionine to glycine ratio is, 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 is incredibly important. At least I believe it to be. Um, so that would have been a fantastic little piece to get his, his thoughts on how he does that. Um, I mean, you, you can, you know, going back to something that we mentioned earlier, um, and one of the things that I do is, you know, like when I consume chicken, I consume the gristle and, and the uh, the cartilage on the bone, uh, and, and that's where the, the glycine is. Um, the same with steak, you know, the, the part that's on the bone and the stringy bits. So that may, in fact, be enough to offset this, uh, this ratio. Um, but that would have been a fantastic talking point, I think, to get his opinion. Um, if we ever get a chance to get him back on uh, or go on to his, you know, I'd love to get his opinion on that because that's... Um, yeah, that's a that's that's a, that's a, a big topic. Um, you have you got any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think Sean is uh, as you saw when he comes on, he he, he plows his own furrow, and he he just wants to get out what information he wants to get out. So I don't know if he would want to talk about that really because he. His mind is so active. If if something's bothering him, he wants to he wants to get that out there very quickly. But yeah, I mean, he'd be interested. Of course, he he would be very interested in it. But um, you know, when he came on, I don't know if you noticed, but I think he had a preset things he wanted to get off his chest, and which is great. And that's that's what happened at Meet RX, and that's why his meetings were so good and so many members joined, is because he would come on 5 o'clock uh, p.m. every day and he would hold a meeting and he would just hold court and he, he would be able to get off his chest what he'd discovered that day or what he wanted to talk about, what he'd heard. And I think... And this is not a criticism. I think it's actually a really good thing. So there was all some new information coming. So if he's talked about it you know, last month or whatever, and there's three hot topics. I think he'd rather talk about what's hot at the moment, you know, what's in the news, what's getting a lot of traction, if there's any sort of um, misinformation about how carnivore is damaging in some way. He likes to address that. But, yeah, I think I, I think the first thing you need to do is get onto his um, podcast and be interviewed about your success story and then take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. It, uh, yes. Still, the group's still quite active. There's no, I mean, are there any questions in there that, um, that anybody would like us to, to, to address, um, you know, to fill the next 40 minutes because yeah, I think we, um, we could have filled an, an, another guest in quite comfortably there, couldn't we? Or, or, or two or extended some of the other ones. Um, well, let me just um, let me just put a, a, a statement up here. I've just seen. Um, well, I, I can't find it now. Oh, here it is. Let's put this in because um, who's Meet RX? Meet RX was Sean Baker's website before Rivero. He uh, launched Meet RX, and I think before that he had one called Meet Hills. Um, anyway. Um, MeetRx was like a coaching and um, or just a big platform about carnival, as, as the name implies, talking about meat being the thing that heals you. And, um, yeah, I, that's where I got my um, coaching certificate for carnival and fasting coaching um, certificate. And, that, and then what's happened is it's evolved. It's now Rivero because they wanted to scale it up and they wanted to uh, employ doctors rather than coaches and um, attack the healthcare system and improve it beyond belief and actually get it to be not disease management but actually making people healthy. So um, that's uh, that was MeetRx. Have you read? Can you see in the comments, Rich? I don't, I don't know what you see. Yeah, I can see the comments. I can see that um, that Jonathan's back, the composition consultant, 
Um, I don't know if he's a player or if he wanted to, but is it worth bringing him back on board? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Yeah, if you wanted, um, if you wanted to pop in, that's fine. Um, you can use, uh, I, I think I'd have to send him a different link. Um, let me have a look. Let me have a look. He's obviously listening because he's um, he's done that. I can send him a link. Bear with me. Because he was very liked, wasn't he? When he came on. Uh, he can't make it, unfortunately. All oh, right. Okay. No, that's a shame. Never mind. Well, come on, we can come up with stuff. <laughs> Let's have a look. Yeah. Can I eat birthday cake and pizza on Carnivore? There's a question. Uh, can you eat birthday cake and pizza on Carnivore? Well, you can if you want, but it's not Carnivore. But you could put that day behind you and then just get back on the Carnivore. That's really that simple. Um, it's free after eight. I'm not doing 25 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the questions that he said a little earlier is, is there going to be uh, a 24? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, potentially, isn't it? I think, I mean, it, we could build off this one. Um, Robert Kilt seems uh, quite keen on on doing um, an annual 24-hour. Um, I think one thing's for certain, it definitely won't be a weekly or monthly. <laughs> I think an annual is uh, is more than enough. But, uh, you know, I've been well impressed with the amount of uh, participants, viewers and questions that have been going in. Um, and a, a lot of these guys have, have, have been popping it back and forth. Um, and, and they've been just as active as we have, you know. Um, do you think the tin macro every day was steak? Uh, is okay for a couple of times a week. Yeah, for sure. It um, mackerel is absolutely fantastic as long as the the mackerel is not in uh, any uh, vegetable oil. Uh, coming back to the point we made earlier, brine is um, is going to be one of the better options. Uh, but yeah, mackerel is absolutely incredible. Um, in fact, I mean, an interesting thing. Um, see if I can find some. Um, some bits here really quickly. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk for two seconds. Uh, yeah, I can talk. I can. Zoe online has said, is it better to eat cooked organs in a given week and how often and in what quantity to avoid overdosing on nutrients on carnivore? But it does say rich, so it's for, for you to answer. Um, I'm, not overly, I'm not overly bothered about organs myself. Sean Baker, as we just spoke about, he's not really bothered about organs. Um so that's quite a prescriptive answer. Is it better to eat cooked organs in a given week? Well, uh, let's do that. Let's pause it. So is it better to eat cooked organs in a given week? Well, yeah, if you want to eat organs, if you like liver, for instance, or kidney, it's not it's not going to be deleterious how often well i wouldn't go mad because then yes you could have some potentials for too many nutrients but not many people do eat that amount of organs and in what quantity so do you want to answer it rich yeah um is it better to eat cooked organs and give them how much um cooked against raw i guess is one of the questions um yeah, there are lots of people within the community who will eat raw liver. Um, I'll be honest, I've never worked up to that one myself. Um, I do eat liver. Uh, I do try to eat organ meats. Organ meats are the most nutrient-dense food on the planet. I think the fear uh, with organ meats comes from vitamin A, uh, overdose of vitamin A. Um, there's very little research in, in, in order for this, um, unfortunately, but I think we do need to take it with a pinch of salt. But it comes from um, uh, explorers in the Antarctic, I believe, consuming polar bears' liver, which is uh, stupidly high in vitamin A, and they overdosed from consuming um, the polar bear liver. But is this something like 100 or 1,000 times higher in a polar bear than it would be in uh, you know, a, a cow, for example. Um, but for that reason, you know, we're told to fear the overconsumption of vitamin A. So um, I would consume, or I typically do consume, around 500 grams of, uh, of beef liver a week. Um, uh, I can turn into slices, um, and I will consume sort of one slice 
around one, 100 grams per day or maybe 200 one day and miss the next. But uh, I am a lover of organ meats. I love eating uh, heart uh, and kidney. Um, chicken hearts are absolutely fantastic. I don't know if you've ever tried them, but they're like little grapes. Uh, fantastic little uh, <laughs> snacks if, if organ meats could be a snack. Uh, but kidney, incredibly nice. And heart, um, I don't know if, if any of you guys have tried heart, but heart is absolutely fantastic. It's incredibly fatty. If, if you're one for uh, fatty cuts of uh, of meats, um, heart is, uh, yeah, you know, from uh, pig or, or cow, uh, calf or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big lover of, of organ meats. But again, coming back to the point we made earlier with the methane to glycine ratio, I mean, we know that we can get... Um, adequate amounts. It's just I fear for people who maybe don't consume, um, you know, those stringy bits and the grisly bits on the bone and the steak who are going to offset that methionine to glycine ratio. Um, yeah, I mean, it would have been good to have debated it with someone. And, and maybe um, Sean does consume those grisly bits. I mean, I should imagine that he probably does. And therefore, the uh, methionine to glycine ratio is, is going to be fine. Um any other questions there? Oh, we'll have a look. Um, yeah. That's why I was asking if you could see them because um, you say, can you see the questions? What are your thoughts about – hang on a minute. What are your thoughts about the anabolic approach, e.g. adding something like white rice periodically to stay metabolically flexible? Um, again, so this um, this whole thing about being um, what what would be the advantage? So I've experimented time after time. Um, hey, Paul, by the way, um, I know Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've experimented many times in regards to refeeding, um, cycling carbs, uh, you know, timing carbs to specific windows. Um, for power, strength, athletic performance, for uh, anabolic effect. Um, now, we know that carbohydrates do not further elicit any protein, uh, any uh, increase in muscle protein synthesis. We know that the co-ingestion of carbohydrates with protein does not build muscle more than just consuming adequate protein alone. So if you're looking to consume white rice in order to build mass, more muscle then if you were consuming enough protein then that is not going to happen uh, what does build muscle or increase muscle protein synthesis is the co-ingestion of, of protein with fat um, but I mean there would be an argument maybe for uh, muscle glycogen uh, muscle glycogen may fill the muscle with, with more volume allowing you um, uh, to lift potentially heavier weights Um but again, white rice would, would be my preference because it's lectin-free. Um, and that's what I would use for competition. So when it comes to competing, one of my uh, – so the way that I would prep for a comp would be um, maybe five five or six days out from a competition, um, I would reduce uh, my dietary fat uh, close to zero. And I'm not saying this is healthy, but this would um, – so coming back to the protein sparing modified, modified fasting we mentioned earlier, my body would go through uh, or into overdrive in uh, in regards to, to burning body fat. Uh, my body fat would become incredibly low, um, but I would always maintain a, a level of protein. Um, so I, I, I do this for, for a little bit of time leading up to that. Um and then I would do a fat refeed. So I'd keep my protein the same, but I would consume higher cuts in order to fill the intracellular myolipids. It's the fat within the muscle. Uh, and this would typically add uh, around seven pounds uh, within uh, two or three days. And then I would do, introduce carbs purely for aesthetic purposes, for no other reason other than to look a little bit big. Um, and it would work. And I would do this with white rice. White, white rice is lectin-free. So I would put the carbohydrate in um, and the carbohydrate would, would gain another uh, 10 pounds. So within that five days, I would gain 17 pounds uh, of lean mass uh, on an incredibly small frame. I'd be incredibly, incredibly tight, incredibly vascular. Um, and that would be the key to me uh, utilizing uh, those carbs for, for, for that beneficial approach. But um, yeah, this... Um, there's no advantage to muscle protein synthesis. And when in regards to keeping metabolic flexibility, you know, that whole thing about per peripheral insulin resistance is um, 
is, is a fallacy. The second we test um, the body with carbohydrate, it bounces back within 24 hours. Um, so I, I just don't see any advantage personally. Um, I have experimented. I've worked with athletes who have experimented. Uh, other people may find uh, more benefit uh, or a benefit, but it, it didn't benefit me um, on any of the aspects that, that I that I trialed it for. Um that's not to say there's a closed book and I wouldn't experiment again. Um, but I didn't notice any benefit other than for aesthetic purposes uh, and competing uh, on show day. But, uh, I'd be happy to hear anybody else's uh, thoughts on that one. Well, I think, uh, I think Jonathan's put some thoughts in there. So, um, well, I, I would just add my two penneths because metabolic flexibility means lots of things to lot, lots of different people. Um, and metabolic flexibility, I've had said to me, well, I've been told that my pancreas will shut down and it won't produce much insulin. And if I do ever have carbohydrates in the future, everything's going to go AWOL. Well, that's not actually true. Um, that doesn't happen. We produce insulin all the time. And, yeah, if you start shoving carbohydrates down your neck, you will get a boost of insulin. And, in fact, I ran a, I ran a, a, a real-world experiment with a person who was absolutely convinced. She said, well, I won't be able to ever eat a chocolate brownie. And I said, do you know what? Since you've been in carnivore, you're so insulin sensitive. I've got a bet that if you genuinely have been carnivore for six months and you ate a brownie, a chocolate brownie, what do you think would happen? She said, oh, my, my blood glucose go through the roof. And I said, I don't think so. I think you're so insulin sensitive now and so less inflamed it would plummet and she just wouldn't believe it. So anyway, I got a, a text or an email later sort of simply saying smart ass. It went down. <laughs> she tried the experiment. So, I mean, it does depend on so many variables, but that's what she meant by metabolic flexibility, to be able to go back to having carbs. And the other thing is what we mentioned in the live stream. Some people have been told, you've failed a glucose tolerance test, so you're not metabolically flexible anymore. Well, that's an arbitrary test and who wants to be able to drink 15 teaspoons of sugar in a solution? So, uh, right, here's one. Um, it's a little bit off. Uh, could you comment on microplastics? Tinned fish comes in these tins lined with plastics, meat packaging. Any ideas how to remove them once they are ingested? Yeah, have you got any thoughts? It's not something I'm super versed in. I know that we look at microplastics and tea bags and things. Uh, um, yeah, it's not something I've gone to town on, I'll be honest. Yeah, that's the, uh, actually, there was a fantastic video on our great friendly Facebook where they did an experiment and it went viral where they, they were trying different tea bags and basically they all had plastic in apart from one. And it was, it, it was enough to make us think about changing the tea to just this one particular company that didn't have any plastics. Um, it's frightening. I mean, Forever Chemicals um, are exactly as they're named, Forever Chemicals. And, I mean, that comes down to Dewpoint uh, making their Teflon and um, run off into, into the streams and stuff, and that's in, our, that's in our system. It also shows that these big corporations, when we blame some of the scientists for, the, for when, the, when we find out what's going on and these elements are not particularly great for the environment – uh, or they cause cancer, for instance. In that particular case, in this brilliant movie called Dark Waters, talks about all the truth behind this. The scientists were, were segregated, so they didn't really know the whole the full picture of what was going on, and uh, a lot of them died of cancer. <laughs> you know, so you could think, well, they're in cahoots. Well, they weren't because they wouldn't kill themselves. They wouldn't. Uh, willingly expose themselves to to that risk. So um, let's have a look. Oh, somebody mentioned Dr. Chafee. Dr. Chafee says the liver is a fairly, it's, it's fairly small, so our ancestors would not be eating loads of it. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it, um, again, still one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, isn't it? Um, yeah. Let's have a look. Um 
<laughs> one for you, Rich. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, if you want to be a professional, you would have to learn the false science then rebel when you become qualified. And uh, I know I know what you mean, Andy. Um, when I finally did my exams for my diabetes and obesity uh, specialist practitioner status, a lot of stuff about the diabetes I, I wrote but didn't believe a word of it. I knew, I knew the answers they wanted. Put it that way. So you give them the answers they want and then you go out into the real world and realise that what you've written would not actually work. So you have to do something else or go with the system. So that's um, that's that. I've had hearts, by the way. I've eaten hearts. I did a What I Eat in a Day video for my YouTube channel and mentioned and showed how much meat you get for a one pound. Uh, so if you're looking at trying to do carnivore on a budget, organ meats, um, heart in particular, is very inexpensive and a good way to get a lot of protein. And Rich is just letting me talk, so that's all right. Um, I'll just carry on. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've seen this, I'm guessing, from Phil, one of our guests from earlier. We look fresh, awake and fresh. Oh, you, you should have come back an hour ago. Yeah, what, what, time, what time was that? <laughs> <laughs> um... So we got John here. Oh, hang on a minute. We were trying to look at the composition consultant. Let's have a look. What's he, what he's been saying? Oh, no, way too many things. Hang on. Jonathan, I can't keep up with you. Right, look, this is what he's written about, metabolic flexibility. So metabolic Metabolically flexibility has nothing to do with being able to add carbs. Your body will always deal with carbs quickly. Yes, because it's toxic. Uh, alcohol gets dealt with first, doesn't it? If you have alcohol and then it's carbohydrates and then it's protein and then it's fat. Um, Rich, are you going to work in a minute? Yes, I've got, I've got it. Yeah, I'm jumping straight into work for for, for a bit after this. Um, Are you going to be all right? Are you going to be safe? Yes, why not? Yeah, uh, I, going off slightly from, um, you know, not not. We've got a, a, an agenda, but um, one of the things that um, that I've been looking into recently in regards to a podcast that I recorded with um, uh, Patrick Holford uh, is um, dementia. And the effect uh, of maybe possibly homocysteine uh, on on dementia. Um, so I could speak a little bit about that for five minutes if you wanted to. Yeah, um, go on, go for it. Perfect. So I mean, it, um, high levels of homocysteine um, increase the risk of dementia, uh, heart disease, and stroke. And ap- apologies if, if I'm half asleep with this. Um, yeah, I think it's taking its toll, isn't it? But vitamins uh, B12, six, and folate break down homocysteine to create other chemicals that the body needs, um, uh, high levels uh, or high homocysteine levels uh, may mean that we have a vitamin deficiency. Um, and when we are vitamin deficient in the likes of B12, B6 and folate, this can increase uh, homocysteine levels. So a, a, a vegan or vegetarian type lifestyle because we can only get cobalamin, which is vitamin B12 from, from meats. Pyridoxine, which is vitamin B6, uh, is found in higher quantities in meat, very low in um, uh, in, in plant foods. Uh, and folate we can get from both, but predominantly from, from animal proteins as well. So living um, a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle could quite possibly increase um, these uh, these homocysteine levels. Um, now, when we look at things like Alzheimer's, um, a big contributing factor is insulin resistance in the brain. Now, Alzheimer's is affected by uh, the glucomonergic neurons. These need rapid energy from glucose, uh, and some cells can only use glucose for energy as they don't have mitochondria, and only mitochondria can use ketones for energy. So glucose will pass into the brain through the GLUT1 transporter, uh, and most of the cells use GLUT3 transporters, but both of which uh, are insulin-independent, meaning that we do not need insulin. But the hippocampus, 
also uses GLUT4 transporters, which is insulin dependent, which means the hippocampus requires insulin. Now, the issue with this is in a situation of insulin resistance, we flood the brain with um, uh, we flood the, the blood-brain barrier uh, with uh, with insulin over time, causing the receptors to downregulate, meaning the brain could quite literally be swimming in a sea of glucose, but unable to, you know, to utilize this um uh, this, uh, this this the glucose for energy. Um, so this is how insulin resistance can contribute to to these factors. And insulin resistance increases also increases ACE two receptors, which leads us susceptible to contracting viruses and infections, etc. Um, and when we do it, um, uh, it, I don't know if you know much about the ACE two receptors, but it was a big thing during um, during COVID, wasn't it? Um, so when we become insulin resistant, the body will create more ACE2 receptors, increasing uh, our likelihood of contracting a virus. Uh, and then when we contract a virus because we're insulin resistant, uh, our natural killer cells through glycation uh, lose their ability to fight off that virus and infection. Um, uh, and glycation of the natural killer cells, yeah, fight off the virus. So when we can contract the virus, the body sequesters iron uh, and stores it in ferritin, which is something we men- mentioned earlier, uh, because pathogens love iron, so the body will sequester this iron um, to, to save the body from helping from becoming um, under attack or, or to heal and repair, which leads to deficiency of iron uh, uh, and now our body's ability to create these neurotransmitters. Because as we've explained earlier, during the catecholaminergic neurotransmitter synthesis, uh, the catecholamines and indolamines, uh, catecholamines of dopamine, epinephrine, noepinephrine, tyrosine, and um, uh, uh, noepinephrine, which is made from tyrosine, and the indolamine serotonin, which is synthesized from tryptophan, involve uh, cofactors like iron, zinc, and B12, which are these things that we are deficient in, which we also need to make homocysteine. So all of these contributing factors um, elevate these homocysteine levels, uh, leading to this um, to this increased risk of dementia, heart disease, and stroke. Uh, and I probably missed out a, a wad full of other stuff there, but it has been close to twenty four hours. But uh, the conversation that I had with with Patrick Holford, we went into a lot of detail in regards to that, and uh, he's a, a fountain uh, of knowledge in regards to to, to uh, dementia. Um, so that podcast is coming out soon. Um, we do explain it a lot better during the podcast, I promise. <laughs> um, so that, that's one worth watching. But it just keeps coming back, doesn't it, to you know the requirement of animal proteins because these, the, these B vitamins, B12 and B6, uh, are incredibly important. And iron and all of these things that we can only get from animal proteins um, in, in high quantities at least. Uh, no, B12, we can only get from animal proteins. Iron, we can only get from animal proteins. All of these are essential for um, the uh, the conversion of these catecholaminergic neurotransmitters and um, uh, and other things within the body that we've touched base on you know, th- th- throughout the day. It all comes back down to this insulin resistance inflammation and high-quality nutrients, which just seems to pull us away from the vegan and vegetarian lifestyle, the foods that we would consume from a standard lifestyle, which are these grains, which are high in, in the lactins and phytic acid, which is blocking the absorption of these nutrients. Um, every which way that you, you put a spin on it in regard as to health and well-being, every, everything seems to come back to, to animal proteins. Um, and I, I, I can't find anything that would be detrimental. Even, you know, today we were talking about um, kidneys and how excess protein can damage the kidneys. And we've, you know, shut this down as well. Um, you know, you uh, people I've worked with with kidney issues seem to thrive on, on elevated protein. And, and these studies that, that, that tell us that high protein consumption will damage your kidneys are over 100 years old. But everything we look at and everything we've discussed today, doesn't it, just seems to come back to the lifestyle that we are living. Um, you know, the, the ketogenic carnivore type lifestyle, uh, irrespective of how deep uh, or how strict you are. You know, this seems to be this big transition into animal proteins, moving away from these um, these foods high in lectins and phytoalectins and plant toxins. Um so yeah, some of my two pennies there to, to, to chuck into the mix. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, uh, Steve. 
Well, I think as you were talking, uh, Zoe asked that question, does eating glandulars or taking a glandular supplement help heal that relevant gland in the body? Is one approach better than the other? And it, I, I thought it was quite interesting that um, – that yeah. um, Philip, Dr. Philip of Avadia talked about uh, heart, eating the heart is actually good for the heart. You know, so he's a heart expert and he's saying that. So there must be some evidence. He doesn't come into these things without things to back it up. So I, I would assume there may be some credence to that. What do, what do you think, Rich? Yeah, I'd be inclined to a degree, uh, to agree, to be honest. It's uh Everything else that we went through in regards to my understanding about cholesterol, um, lipid profiles, and everything else was 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 spot on. So, yeah, I mean, if 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 that's something that he's brought up during the talk, I'd be inclined to believe that 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 yeah, uh, I, I'd rather get it through diet again over supplementation. But again, supplementation, you know, um, if if you can't eat these foods and some people can't eat them, um. Supplementation, you know, is fine, I guess, but I mean, it's obviously going to be cheaper to, to buy it in, in its raw form. Let me show you something I did when I was uh, when I had a keto website. <laughs> You'll like this one. Um, this is not the glycemic index. This is the insulin index, um, and I think this should be more public. But this is just looking at. Oh, let me get rid of that uh, thing from Zoe. So. Um, there's a bit more space on the thing. Hang on. Let me just hide that. Yeah, the insulin index. I mean, I, I, I did this because I just think insulin is more relevant for some people, what I talked about earlier with that little demonstration. So you can see on that, uh, and this is basically the score, the, the, the lower the impact these foods have on the body's response is good. So butter has a very small, minimal response on insulin. Um, I haven't put quantities on there because I just wanted to be clean and just give you some idea. And it pretty much correlates with the glycemic index, to be honest. But if you look at that, um, the white bread there is 100 and the whole wheat bread is 90. So they, these are pretty bad. Jelly beans, 160. Potatoes, 121. And I often say to people who want to lose a bit of weight and improve their health, who are really reluctant to do carnivore, my approach is to, is to, to target this area, actually. So uh, you probably heard me talk about bananas and bread and potatoes. You might have heard me talk about potatoes today. Um, and I'd say that, take out the bread and potatoes, that's the first two things, and that makes a big difference. And I always get the pushback, well, what if I have brown bread? And I'm like, well, no, just cut bread, just cut bread, because it's not that much. And that, uh, by the way, is how they can say brown bread is healthier than white, because it is marginally, but um, brown bread is not as healthy as duck for instance you know so it's all relative really so so the bread goes and then the fruit like the tropical fruits like bananas that's that's a good thing i don't have many people having a big problem with sweet and yogurt actually um and jelly beans is a very american thing but that i suppose that could just be replaced by any sort of candy like m&ms or whatever so yeah um i just thought that was quite an interesting read uh, peanut butter there is quite surprising, but I suppose that's because it's very fatty, I'd imagine. So that was that. So that's a little bit of screen sharing for you. The website I ran was called Keto Body, um, but I don't run that anymore. So a uh, question from Carl. For gaining muscle, is it one to two grams of protein? I don't know if that's meant to be 1.2, but I don't think so. I think it's one to two grams of protein per pound of lean body mass or actual. You're muted, Rich. I must have done that by accident. That's the best way. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we've had a few variations from, from you know a few different uh, of the guests today. I think Generally, it seemed to run down to you know a minimum of, of one to one point two five, wasn't it, um, per pound uh, at, at least? But I wouldn't be concerned with going over that either. Um, I mean, I I I work it out as one per pound generally as a minimum, but 
I, I'm not wedded to that in respect of, um, you know, I wouldn't go over it. I certainly wouldn't be scared to go to go well over that. Um, maintenance, I've always regarded as, as 0.5 grams per, per pound at the lower end. 0.82 is the minimum required to build. And one uh, is uh, is a nice clean sort of average between between the spread. Uh, but there's been figures between sort of 1 and 1.25, um, you know, uh, expressed over the last 24 hours. Um, and, yeah, I'd be inclined to, to – I certainly wouldn't be against 1.25. Um, you know, I've, I've gone, you know, 3 to 4 grams per pound at some point during um, uh, during competing and, and training. Uh, but I didn't notice any benefit to doing so. Uh, I think it becomes a case, a case of diminishing returns. Um, anywhere between 1 to 2 pound, and, and I think you'll be, uh, you'll be on song there. Yeah, that's great. Um, I really like uh, something uh, Jonathan's put here uh, about cortisol. It's a nice little uh, soundbite, if I can just find it. And I'm sorry that I'm not on the ball as I was <laughs> when we started this. Twenty-three yeah, I, hours. And- I, I don't think I don't think either of us are. To, to be fair, I think uh, yeah, but we've done all right. It's um, yeah. It's, I'm it's gonna I'm gonna go through it. The names of the people that appeared today, I can't find it, Jonathan. I'm sorry, but it was something like uh, cortisol doesn't cause high stress or something. It's a nice little soundbite. Oh, I think anyway, um, high cortisol is a result of high stress. It doesn't lead to high stress. There we are. That's it. Yeah, and that's that's a real common thing in uh, mainstream medicine where now they look at the wrong point if you see what i mean uh diabetes is a is a disease of high blood glucose no <laughs> no that's the marker all right but anyway right of something else so if you don't mind well i could play a game with you rich i could say can you remember who appeared and could you thank them how many do you reckon you could get or just want to read it? um my goodness. Shall I see how many I can remember? Um, oh, wow. Uh, you, you couldn't write this, could you? Right. Okay. So, uh, right, from Rich, Richard Smith and Coach Stephen, we want to thank, thank the following people for making the 24-hour live stream fun. Where you go. So I, two, I'm going to shout out straight away. One, because uh, Anthony Che, if you came off first. Uh, two, a fantastic Phil Escott, who's just kindly um, put a comment in, in, in the box there, which reminded me. So there's two there. Um, uh, was it Ben that was with Phil? Yeah, um, ben, ben Hunt. Uh, ben Hunt, Judy uh, Chow, um, Serena Music. Um, we've got uh, Sarah Zaldivar. Uh, Sabrina Salt. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't, I oh can't my goodness, it was too slow now, too slow. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Yes, go on then. Um, Natalie, I can't remember, apologies, I can't remember Natalie's name, but that was the one that was, that was in and out, wasn't it? With um, Na- yeah. Natalie West, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, um, uh, Bill the Power Taylor. Cool, yeah, brilliant. Um, oh, I can't remember the lady's name. Heidemann. Can, can, can you give me that one? Heidemann, Heidemann. Am I just making stuff up? I think you're making stuff up. Weidman, oh, I'll have to, okay. Weidman, maybe? Oh, Lisa, no. Dr. Lisa Weidman. Yes, yeah. There we go. See, I knew I wasn't making it up. Um, who else have we got? Uh... How many have I got so far? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Lily I, feel, I feel like I'm going to do a Bruce Forsyth here. You're amazing. The end. You know the, the cyclist. Yeah, L- Lily Kane, uh, Sean Sakonowski. Oh yeah, yes, uh, yes, Lily Kane, yes. Uh, David Jenner, win. Oh, well done. Yes. Um. Yeah, but I said Serena Music. Surely that's got to be a, the, a, the majority of people there. Um, uh, Coach Bronson. Yes. Um, well, yeah, yeah, Coach Bronson, right. jo- Jonathan, uh, they could uh, um, uh, yeah, that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Composition consultant is what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, 
I can see a few people, um, but I can't. I can't picture names. Um, uh, Colt. Yeah, you said Colt Milton. Yeah, I've already said Colt, have I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, he's got two mentions. Brilliant. Um, oh, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin Stock. Yes. Right, I'm gonna. Shall I do the ones you don't? You cheat. Hang on, Sean. Sean Baker. Baker. Yeah. Uh, Philip. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I think you're cheating yeah. now. I have been. <laughs> somebody's put down that blonde chick so we can put that one in as well. <laughs> well, I can't believe you You can't remember Dr. Robert Kiltz, who yeah. came twice. So she wish yeah. was really good. Yeah. Rachel Down from Boyle and Broth. Dr. Rachel and Brown. Brown, Co- yeah. yeah. Coach Emily. I can't believe you cheated. I'm, I'm disappointed. I did. Kate, it, was the last, it was the last yeah. one. Or two. Casey Rapp. Casey Rapp. Yeah. Pim Jansen. Uh, Robert Sykes. Keita Savage. Ah, yes. Yeah. He won't talk to you again. Professor Bart <laughs> K. You ah, missed him. Awesome. Yeah. Jennifer, uh, delighted to meet you. Jessica Henrad. Uh, and that's it. That's it. That's everybody. So well, thank I didn't you do too badly for for twenty four hours of uh, yeah twenty four hour live um, on three hours sleep. Um, so twenty twenty five hours awake. I think that would be on three hours sleep. Um, so yeah, I'll take it. How are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling good. I think uh, I. I struggled, and it's not because of Sean. It was just that it was the 23rd hour. I really struggled, and I think I did nod off. So um, that's full transparency there. For about a billionth of a second. And then I know that was spotted because we had some messages saying, Stephen, you need to have some salty water or do something. So uh, I just want to say, you know, I, I think it's been made brilliant by the guests. They've all been really good. And the support in the um, chat has been fantastic. So it's been great, hasn't it? It's been really good. I'm really, we got 60 seconds left. So yeah, I just, it, two things. I just like to thank everybody that has come on, given up their time to do so. Um, massively appreciated. Uh, like to thank everybody that's come on and supported with the questions and, su- and supported us in general. Uh, and, you know, finally, uh, you, Stephen, I mean, you've, you've organized this. And again, you know, earlier we mentioned it with, with Judy. You know, you've spent weeks organizing this, um, given up your time, given up uh, your working hours. Uh, you haven't earned any money for this. Um, you know, none, none of us have, but you've taken time out of your daily working routine to put this together. Um, yeah, I, you know, you know, I, I think it's been successful. I think if we do it next year, it'll be even better again. Um, and yeah, super excited and, and glad to be a part of it. So thank you for, for the invitation. That's okay, and that, that's very kind of you. But I couldn't have done it without you, and I keep saying that, and I absolutely one hundred percent mean it. Twenty four hours, we got there. We got there. It's just clicked, 24 hours. So, yeah, thank you, everybody that tuned in. But the guests in particular, thank you so much. So I got a little bit emotional there. Yeah, thank you. You really, really uh, turned up and did brilliantly. So what's behind you? That's my little girl. Hello, little girl. <laughs> my little girl. So, uh, <laughs> say bye-bye. You're going to wave? Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everybody. Yes, and it will be on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't to Richard Smith, but he smashed his thousand subscribers. Thanks to you. And uh, I'd love to get to 8,000 on mine, but there you go. Right. Anyway, we're going to end the broadcast. Yeah, Um, thank you all. We do live every Sunday. Lives for an hour every Sunday. Cheers, all.
Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.